Welcome to From Our Vantage Point, where you can easily access expert perspective and practical approaches to tackling common topics and concerns in not-for-profit governance and management. My name is Maria Turnbull, Associate Executive Director at Vantage Point and your host. On behalf of Vantage Point's entire team, welcome and thank you again for joining us. From Our Vantage Point is brought to you by Humanity Financial Management, a chartered accounting firm dedicated to helping Canadian not-for-profit, charitable and social enterprises build capacity for strong internal financial management. Humanity Financial Management's part-time controllers and CFOs provide support for budgeting, reporting, audit preparation, policies and procedures and internal controls. Their results, financial risk reduction and asset protection. Visit Humanity Financial Management online at humanityfinancial.ca. Each podcast, we focus for 15 minutes or so on one area of interest. Today's topic, Show Me the Money, Getting Clarity on Compensation, has been inspired by many of you, our listeners. Over the years, we've heard from many of the executive directors we work with that the topic of compensation is daunting, to say the least. From determining correct salary ranges, to talking to board about budgeting for merit increases, to looking at variable compensation, Today, in order to tap into some of the best expertise in this area, we are, we're trying out our first virtual interview. My guest, Kelly Alder, is Vice President for Human Resource Programs at Ceridian, a global human capital management technology company. Kelly is joining us from Ontario, where in addition to her uh, VP role with Ceridian, Kelly serves as Executive Director of Ceridian Cares, Ceridian's philanthropic foundation. That's at www.ceridiancares.ca. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Maria, and thank you for that great introduction. Wow. Well, Kelly, we, uh, we connected to you, we reached out to you after seeing a recent Business in Vancouver article where you, you were actually talking about the importance of clear compensation communications. Can you outline for us to get us started some of the key areas that an organization should really seek some clarity on as it relates to compensation? Certainly. You know, it's really interesting. There are so many organizations and employees that actually don't have a good understanding of why they make the money they do or even where they fit into the larger larger structure. So it's really important that people become aware of their compensation and understand it. Um, you know, part of the lack of understanding has to do with some Canadian companies don't actually have a defined compensation policy. And part of it relates to that for the companies that do, they don't communicate that policy effectively to their employees. So when you think about communicating, really the key areas to aim for relate to do you have a policy? And if so, what is it? What are the rules or the, the pay scales or pay bands that you have? And what are the salary bands for the various jobs and positions? I would say those are the three critical areas that you want to get clarity on. What's your policy? What are your bands? And what jobs go into which bands? Okay, and what sort of things would be within a, a compensation policy, or I've sometimes heard it referred to as a compensation philosophy, or are those two different things? Yes, I, I 
think when you think about a compensation philosophy, it's kind of like your general approach to how you pay or how you compensate your employees. It's that internal guidepost. Uh, it sort of drives the practices of the comp and benefits team. And so the approach itself is more than just salary considerations. It's really about uh, attracting, retaining people through multiple mechanisms. It's salary, vacation, working from home, intrinsic value of work, all of those pieces of the, the compensation puzzle. So it's that philosophy that kind of keeps you on course. And then every company is different, and they might have a different kind of compensation policy where you might say, um, I'm going to have a, a philosophy where we offer salaries in the 75th percentile and above, and I pay for performance. So then my policy relates specifically to how do I pay for performance. Um, another company might have a very different philosophy where they uh, focus on teamwork, and groups are awarded things based on milestones or tenure or team achievements. And so then your comp policy relates more specifically to that. Does that make sense? It really does. And when you think about it, it you know, a, uh, the philosophy doesn't have to be written explicitly and mailed to all employees' home, but it does need to have be a guidepost for the leaders, for the compensation team or for the executive leaders, so that they can always go back to it and say, when I need to make a decision, I need to go back to my philosophy. It's, it really should relate to the company's values as well. So what do we stand for? And, and so that kind of guides, again, those decisions. Great. And... Um Kelly, we work with quite a, a number of small organizations. You know, any tips for, you know, no matter what the size organization, but likelihood is most of our customers won't have kind of a, a team. Even They may not even have a formal HR professional who works for their organization. Any tips on how they, even a small organization, might be able to, to figure out, uh, kind of put some, um, to create those guideposts, to develop a bit of a compensation philosophy? How does that happen? Well, the basics should be, A, that you're in compliance with the law, and then B and C are kind of about being market competitive or competitive with other firms. Um, there's multiple pieces when you're, you're, you want to consider when creating that, but, but you want to get those basics uh, sort of formalized or, or at least understand and ensure you're, you're in compliance. Um, and then, as I mentioned before, uh, aligning with the values, so understanding what your organization stands for, what are your key values. So that's kind of a big picture lens. From a more tactical perspective, uh, the very tips and tricks, things that you'll want to consider. Um, so what's your external market? So where are you geographically? Are you in Vancouver or are you in Tofino? What kinds of jobs do you have in demand in your area? Um, what kinds of jobs do you have in your organization? Uh, those kinds of factors matter. Um, and then you might want to consider some internal pieces as well. What's your budget? You know, what kind of comp philosophy can you afford? If you're in a not-for-profit world, chances are you're not paying at the 75th percentile, but probably you're aiming for the 50th percentile. And so that, it's a balancing act between what you want to do and what you can do, and then um, bearing in mind, how does it look amongst my employees? Does the comp philosophy and policy seem fair? Those are, <clears throat> excuse me, the kinds of things that I would suggest as a starting point. 
Okay. Great. And any thoughts or any experience in how a board of directors might uh, be engaged in these conversations? Mm-hmm. Now, ideally, you want to have the support of your board and your executive leaders. Um, in some boards of directors, I've seen where they ha- actively have a subcommittee, like a compensation committee, where they might have one or two members that focus on the philosophy or focus on helping with the practices. Um, but in others, you might just have that general awareness uh, or a general board of directors team. Certainly, you want them to support the philosophy. They, they're the ones that are going to approve the budget every year, and so they mm-hmm. need to, to feel like it aligns with their overall vision, mission, and values. And so that's where, at minimum, you want them to be involved. And then if they're really keen, then hopefully they can help provide some of the market research or something like that to help drive some of the comp policy decisions. Okay, yeah, that's really, really helpful, I think, making that connection to the board's role in budget approval. If they're going to be seeing line items that include a, an, an increase to salaries across the board or whatever it be, they'd better understand how those decisions were made and, and, and be in support of some of those um, potential uh, changes that could show up in a, in a budget. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and the piece is... You know, every organization is a little bit different. Every job might be a little bit different, too. So you might have in, uh, want to do a cost of living increase across the board, but you might also be really in desperate need of a particular role, uh, a support worker in a particular location. I can't find one. So I'm going to spend a premium amount, if I can find one, to fill that position. So the board needs to be kept abreast of those kinds of things as well. Yes, we opted to give this person a more significant raise, but here are the reasons why. Okay. And you mentioned whether, you know, in what form, I'm curious, how and who do you share your compensation philosophy with? Well, the philosophy, as I said before, doesn't have to be mailed to every employee's home, but it it is an awareness piece internally that you'll want to be communicating with your managers and broadly with your employees. So this is the kind of organization we strive to be. Um, We don't put it on our job postings, but there's generally a sense that uh, are all of our employees internally are aware of our philosophical approach to compensation. Okay. Then more specifically, in our organization anyway, transparency is a really big component at Ceridian. And so we feel very strongly that all of our managers should be very well versed in the comp philosophy and the policy. So for us, it's a matter of ensuring that they are um, educated, they get FAQs, they're trained, and, and we want them to understand the methodology on how we got to where we did with the certain uh, compensation items. Okay, that makes sense. And how often would you recommend an organization actually refresh its compensation approach or philosophy? Is that something done annually or uh, during, you know, after a, a period of significant change? When, when might an organization want to revisit those guideposts? Yeah. My observation has been often when there is a change of leadership, that um, that overall value and philosophy, you'll want to check in and make sure your comp philosophy is aligned with the leadership if there is a leadership change. Um, if there isn't a leadership change, I think you want to be checking in every couple of years to make sure your practices are aligned with your philosophy, that you're being consistent. 
but generally speaking, we see it at the at a change of leadership. Even even something as simple as a reorganization or a restructuring within the the company. Let's say you're a small um, not for profit and you've had a fairly flat organizational hierarchy for a number of years, and then you bring in two new managers. Well, that's a change to the org hierarchy that might make you want to reassess the compensation philosophy. Okay. Um, now, you mentioned when, just when we got started areas that an organization can get clarity on in terms of compensation. Could you tell us some more about establishing uh, salary bands in particular? Sure. Uh, salary bands are a good way to um, divvy up and uh, demonstrate how different roles fit into the organization. Um, Generally, they're based on a market assessment, so you kind of examine the external market, as I mentioned before, and um, you kind of hear or see what the market will pay for a certain set of skills, a certain length of expertise, a certain job position. Um, you can get salary surveys, you can get some free market data, or you can get uh, purchase them, um, and there might even be some government research out there about salaries. So, so Start with research and understand what the external market um, will consider in terms of salary ranges. And then once you have that handle on what the market will bear, then you kind of look at your internal side of things and, and understand whether you have a flat organization or one with many levels. If you're fairly flat, you might need X number of bands. If you've got a lot of levels, you'll probably need more bands to accommodate someone's career development and different levels of experience within a job category. Um, so, you know, when you're establishing those bands, look external, look internal. Then you kind of go, okay, here's my band for this kind of job in this kind of position, and I want to create a min mid and a max point because that will help you to group people so you've got someone who has three years experience and someone who has 12 years experience they're in the exact same position but they're they don't get the same salary because that experienced person probably is higher up on the band now you're um, less experienced person then has something to work towards and it's okay to have a salary differential because they're aiming towards the midpoint or something like that. So um, th those are kind of, sorry, go ahead. It sounds like that would give, yeah, give um, leaders uh, flexibility in terms of uh, thinking about where somebody may fit and, and even perhaps engage staff in some of those conversations as to why they may be sitting at a, at a minimum because they're working towards mid or, or whatever the case may be. I like that approach a lot. And it, and it helps really have that conversation. So it gives a manager some context for why an employee might come to you and say, I just found out that another uh, company uh, pays somebody in the exact same role $20,000 more a year. And so you can say to the employee, this is our band, this is why we have it this way, this is the role, and this is the value we place on it. And in fact, our philosophy is we want to get everybody to the midpoint. Right now, you've only got three years' experience, but we're working towards getting you there, and here's how. Um, so it gives managers a little bit of language and a little bit of structure to the conversation instead of just saying, well, so-and-so has more experience or that company pays more because of X, Y, Z reasons. 
Um, okay. At the end of the day, you want your employees to be understanding where they fit into the comp model, and so it's not bad that they know about bans, and it gives them something to strive for as well. Great. Any tips on ensuring a clear approach to cost of living versus merit increases? Well, I think that goes back to the philosophy. So if you are a pay-for-performance type of organization, then you're going to um, have certain milestones that someone has to achieve, and then they get a certain amount of compensation. Um, you might have a, a philosophy where we treat everyone equal. We give everyone an equal increase. You kind of look at it as a peanut butter approach where you spread it across back and forth across the masses, um, and that's okay too, as long as you're clear with your employees, that's our approach here, that everybody gets cost of living, and, and away you go. Um, it just depends on the type of philosophy. We'll go back to the original question around philosophy. What, what, do, you, what, what do you stand for? What do you value? Uh, in some jobs, it is good to pay for performance. Obviously, things like a sales job, they tend to do well. The more sales you get, the more money you'll get. Um, but in other kinds of positions, uh, you might have more of a, a cost of living piece or a team-based bonus and things like that. Yeah, such variety. And I was just thinking and kind of looking to my next question around managing a mix of union and non-union staff. Uh, my husband happens to work in a unionized environment, and I can definitely say they don't, you know, their approach is not to pay for performance. It really is cost of living related and more of the peanut butter. <laughs> Uh, I can see those distinctions. So if, if you're facing a mix of union and non-union, any, any comments there? Well, with a union environment, you're going to have certain elements of compensation that are prescribed. It's contracted, and there's no movement uh, or, or discretion. There's no manager discretion when it comes to changing someone's salary. If they hit a certain milestone or if they're in a certain role, this is their hourly rate that they get. And so it almost makes it easier for some people to manage because it's very clear-cut. This is the contracted agreement. If you have a mixed environment where you have union and non-union staff, then it's really important that you're sharing with the non-union staff the comp policy and so that they understand where they fit into the grand scheme of things as well and, and really to demonstrate the value. So again, people don't only stay at an organization because of their salary, that there's other valuable pieces about being in the organization. I have the opportunity to work from home or flex time or I get a really great role in a not-for-profit environment. So um, those are the pieces from a total compensation perspective that you want to be sharing in that mixed environment as well. Okay. Uh, Kelly, we're kind of drawing to a close here. Any final tips or tools that you would like to share? Any resources that you've, you could recommend uh, to our listeners? I think from a tips perspective, I would say always go back to the values or the philosophy that your organization stands for. And it's going to give you that, that um, guidepost for making those comp decisions. So it, as a... As, uh, out there as it might sound is to sit, sit down and take some time to think about what your philosophy is and what you stand for. I think that will help a lot of organizations, a lot of managers have the discussion. And then really uh, the other tricks that I would say are 
educating your managers, it doesn't mean they have to become compensation experts. They just have to become good managers. And that means talking to their employees, sharing with their, with their employees what they can, uh, learning themselves. So, so really, um, it's not, not just HR's problem or it's not just the leadership's problem about why an employee might not know their compensation. Uh, it's their manager's responsibility as well. So I would encourage people to have a lens of a, a holistic view so that um, everything just doesn't fall to one side and say, oh, someone in compensation is going to look at that. Okay. So helpful, Kelly. Really appreciate you uh, connecting with us from afar. Um, it's been, I've, I've learned a ton, and I'll be uh, thinking about, in particular, that last point that you mentioned, really uh, having a bit more of a transparent lens, I think, within the organization as to how we make some of the decisions that are related to compensation. Uh, so, so appreciate your time. My pleasure, Maria. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Finally, we'd like to again thank our sponsor, Humanity Financial Management, rock-solid reporting for causes that count. And to our listeners, we hope you'll tune in to our next edition, published by the third Wednesday of every month. We encourage you to submit your ideas for upcoming podcasts through our podcast blog page or by email to info at thevantagepoint.ca. Thanks again.